following is a recording of a sermon given at All Saints Lutheran Church in Ottawa, Canada. For additional messages and more information, visit allsaintslutheran.ca. Today and Sunday, we're going to be looking at some of the extraordinary things that God has accomplished through Jesus' death and resurrection and what they mean to us. Of course, there's no way to completely plunge the depths of the unfathomable, if I said that correctly. Um, We're going to be focusing on a passage from the book of Hebrews, chapter 4, verse 14, through chapter 5 and verse 10. I've entitled this, Our Great High Priest. And this morning, we're going to be looking at what I'm calling the, the sympathetic Savior. Now, this passage from Hebrews that I'll read in a moment is from the perspective of beyond Jesus' death and resurrection to his taking his place at the Father's right hand in the heavenly realm, the place of authority. His taking of that place is all based on his death and resurrection. Now, this morning we'll be focusing on his death, but not just the, the... the immediate context of his dying, but his life of, life of suffering that culminated in his death. So before we, or I, read the scripture to you, it's important to understand the context of the book of Hebrews uh, in which this letter was written. As far as we know, the community that the anonymous writer was writing to was a group of Jewish believers. And like in many of the letters, it seemed they started off really well in their faith. But the pressure, the pressure of being followers of Jesus began to get to them. And they were beginning to hide their faith away, so to speak. They weren't as bold as they had once been because, it's pretty clear, they had their property confiscated and they had suffered in a variety of ways, many of which I imagine most of us never have. None of them had died. That comes up in the letter. No one had shed blood. But the pressure was getting to them. Maybe they were hiding their faith in their hearts, which From my reading of the New Testament, faith that we hide in our hearts becomes questionable because unless it exhibits itself in an outward display of the way we live and what we say and how we represent the Lord, then it becomes questionable whether that faith really is genuine and legitimate. So the writer was concerned about this community and was encouraging them to become more outwardly focused again and more demonstrative and outwardly confident with regard to their faith. What they were were doing as Jewish believers is it seemed that they were relying on what God had said to the Jewish people prior and and putting their trust in 
things like the temple worship that still existed at their time would soon be destroyed, but in their day, the priesthood was still functioning. And there was a sense that that was good enough. Well, it was good enough when it was good enough. But with the coming of Jesus, all that the temple ritual had anticipated through the sacrifices had been fully accomplished through Jesus' own sacrifice. Much of, of, of New Testament is preparation, preparation for the coming of the Messiah. There's so much, as you know, in the Old Testament that is still um, uh, practical and um, relevant for today. But in terms of things like how the people were to worship God, mainly through the, the going to the temple and doing the sacrifices and so on, this was preparation for the time when the Messiah would come. Now that he's come, the time of preparation was over. I don't know if any of you have ever been in a major play, a theatrical production, or preparing for a major concert. If you have, you would know that the time of preparation is very different from the actual production. It's the same thing in, in athletics. There's all the training. Trainings can be very, very difficult. But let's say you're preparing to run a race. When the gun goes off and the race begins, you're not training anymore. And everything changes at that moment. But I wonder how many people, when they get to that place of, it's now time for the show to go on, or it's now time for the race to begin, that we want to go back to that safer place of the training or the safer place of the preparation. That wasn't as scary. That wasn't as vulnerable. No, no reviewers don't come to, to, to all those early days of preparation and begin to write reviews of your performance. They usually come to the first show and then you're, what you're doing is on the line. Well, these believers' lives were on the line. The time of preparation was over. The gun has gone off. Jesus has come. And we cannot live as if he had not, has not come yet. So let's read Hebrews 4, beginning at verse 14 through chapter 5 and verse 10. Since then we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet, with un, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. For every high priest chosen from among men is appointed to act on behalf of men in relation to God to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He can deal gently with the ignorant and wayward since he himself is beset with weakness. Because of this, he's obligated to offer sacrifice for his own sins, just as he does for those of the people. And no one takes this honor for himself, but only when called by God, just as Aaron was. So also Christ did not exalt himself to, to be made high priest, but was appointed by him who said to him, 
This is a quote from Psalm 110. You are my son, today I have begotten you. As he says also in another place, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. And before I go on and, and finish the, the passage, I want to explain what this is, this Melchizedek person, and, and why it's important to mention him. The, the priesthood that I mentioned earlier that had to do originally with the tabernacle and the wilderness that was brought into the promised land and then later the more permanent temple, that priesthood was based on a lineage from the tribe of Levi or Levi, the same tribe that Moses was part of. And part of Levi um, was a subgroup that started with Moses' brother Aaron. And Aaron's sons became the priests of Israel. Uh, the Hebrew word for priest is Kohen, which is where you get the, the Jewish last name Kohen, C-O-H-E-N. It means priest. And so these priests were specially appointed by God to offer the sacrifices in the temple. No one else was to do that. But then later, at some point, God says these mysterious words to King David or through King David in Psalm 110, verse 4, where it says, The Lord has sworn and will not change his mind, you are a priest forever after the order of Melchizedek. In Psalm 110, we have hints of a greater than David king who would come, who we now know as the Messiah, the one who would come and rescue the people of Israel from oppression and restore uh, the creation to righteousness and goodness, break the power of sin and death. Well, this, this coming Messiah is being referred to in Psalm 110 also as a priest, but not after the Levitical order, not after this, the order that's derived from Aaron that served in the temple, but after a completely different order, a whole other system. At the time, this must have been a really strange thought, and to a lot of Jewish people today, it's still a strange thought. What is this? A different order, not the Levitical order that God established to oversee the, the ministry in the temple? Well, this is an order after the likes of a mysterious character by the name of Melchizedek. We run into Melchizedek, in the book of Genesis. Abraham had just led um, a rescue operation. His nephew Lot had been captured by these, these kings leading these armies, and he mustered a, another army, went after them, and rescued Lot and the other people that were taken by, by these other people. On the way back, he meets someone called Melchizedek. Melchizedek is called in the book of Genesis a priest of El Shaddai. We don't really know what El Shaddai means. El certainly means God. The Shaddai part we're not too certain, but it's often translated as God Most High. I actually, to be all honest, I might, um, it might be El Elyon. Let me look that up. This is one of my, give you an example of humility here. 
We could just keep going forward. Let's see what this says here. I'll read it. And we'll just take, forget the Hebrew for now. After his return from the defeat of Kedalah Omer and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him, that is Abraham, at the valley of Shava, that is the king's valley. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God most high. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abram, his name hadn't yet been changed to Abraham, by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. And blessed be God most high, who has delivered your enemies into your hand. And Abram gave him a tenth of everything. And so what happened was when Abram meets this Melchizedek, who's a priest, he's recognized by Abram as representing the true God. And he gives him a tithe, a tenth of all that he had, that he had gotten in this battle. And so in the book of Hebrews, there's a whole section that explains this that we won't get into, that Melchizedek as a priest, in a sense, is a greater priest than the priest that would come after Abraham. Abraham's descendants were the Levites who became part of the priesthood. But here's Abram before his, his descendant Levi was even born, offering a tithe to this priest, showing and you and you offer the tithe to the one who's greater than yourself. And so this shows that this Melchizedek, in a sense, is greater than the Levitical priesthood that was still, um, exist, still existed when the book of Hebrews was written. And so the Psalm 110 makes the statement that the coming Messiah would also be a priest, but of a greater order, like that of Melchizedek. So let's continue. This is chapter 5, verse 7 of Hebrews. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. And being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. With the destruction of the temple, the original priesthood that God established in the books of Moses came to an end. But already he had replaced that priesthood with another priest, a great high priest who was our Messiah and Savior, the Lord Jesus. And so he stands representing us before God through the offering of his own blood. Now, in the section that I just read, there are some things here that we, we do tend to miss. In fact, theologically, many of us have a hard time with them. I've referred to these things before, and I think it is so important to capture who Jesus really is and what what he was in his earthly ministry. 
It says that in the days of his flesh, he offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears. Many of us might wonder, why would he need to do that? Oh, he did that for us. Yes, he did that for us. But he himself cried out to God. Now, some, some might say, well, this loud cry and tears, that happened in the Garden of Gethsemane before he was arrested. We know how he cried out to God. It, with struggling in God's presence that perhaps God would do his will through him without him having to die on the cross. And he struggled with that. And all the while saying, but not my will, but your will be done. So some people think it was only that episode where he had this kind of intense prayer. But that's not the way it sounds here. In the days of his flesh, Jesus offered, offered up prayers and supplications with loud cries and tears to him who was able to save him from death. And he was heard because of his reverence. Remember, Jesus' life was in danger pretty constantly once he began his earthly ministry. In fact, his life was in danger when he was a baby. His life was in danger. He had a mission to accomplish. It was important that he didn't die before the time. He faced so much opposition. He who became like a human being in every way except without sin faced the the difficulties of our life in every way that we do, except without sin. It says here, although he was a son, he learned obedience through what he suffered. Many people seem to think that somehow the, the child Jesus was, was uh, filled with the knowledge of everything. And could do anything, anything he wanted, any way which he wanted to. And that he didn't, did he really have to learn to be a carpenter like his earthly dad? Did he need to learn anything? Couldn't he just derive it from all this infinite knowledge? That's an interesting idea. And when we think about how he was the son of God made man, we might, our thoughts might want to go that way, that he possessed all this infinite power at all times, and he simply kind of just had to turn it off or make it look like it was turned off. But the scripture doesn't portray him that way at all. The scripture is clear that he laid aside, when he became a man, he laid aside his heavenly prerogatives, and he became a man in every way, yet as I've been saying, without sin. That's the difference. But what he shares with us is our humanity in every way. And so just like us, he had to learn obedience through what he suffered. And he suffered. He says, and being made perfect, he became the source of eternal salvation to all who obey him, being designated by God a high priest after the order of Melchizedek. Earlier on, we read how
For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. You know, there's, there's two ways we can sympathize. There's one way where people will kind of, oh, that's really too bad. I'm sorry that it, this is happening to you. And that's it. But that's not the sympathy that the Lord has for us. He indeed has a sympathy that says, I completely understand what you're going through. I get it. I felt it. I experienced it. Whatever it is. Now get up and let's get going like I did. Jesus never invites us to a pity party. A place where we often would like to be. He calls us up and out. He said he gets it. He understands what it's like to trip and, 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 and hurt ourselves. But then he comes to us not with a condemning, like, oh, you fool kind of attitude, but a, I get it kind of attitude. Now, let's brush you off and let's get going. Jesus experienced everything that we experience. In fact, some of the things that we've experienced, he didn't in the sense that many of us have had it a lot better than he did. He was born into a poor family not only was he born into a poor family, but a family on the run. Already mentioned, uh, his life was at risk when he was a child. His parents packed him up and went off to Egypt. They wanted to go back to Jerusalem, but there was, there was trouble there too, and they headed back to Nazareth instead. And speaking of Nazareth, Nazareth didn't have the greatest reputation and so he was dissed because of his hometown. John 1, 46, can anything good come from Nazareth? Maybe you've lived in such a place. Maybe where you come from is looked down. That's common. Jesus experienced that. He lived with constant misunderstanding. I hate that myself. I don't like to be misunderstood. He experienced it pretty much constantly, to the point that his good works were deemed to be of the devil. Have you ever done something good and you were told, and you know that you did it from a good heart only to be told that you had these ulterior motives and you were being selfish or worse? He carried the pain of his mission. Staying up all night to pray before he chose the 12 apostles. Again, when we read it, it's just a few words in the Gospels. It's like, oh, oh yeah. It's not easy to stay up all night praying. It's not like he, he, he made himself a big cup of coffee to see him through the night sort of thing. And was it easy? Was it just like, here's my list, Father. I've got 100 names, choose 12. Great. He, he struggled in prayer. In seeking the Father's will. He had to get it right. 
And he took his responsibility seriously. And that could be painful. He was betrayed by one of his closest friends. He was denied by his closest friend. He was forsaken by all of his friends, all in the time of his greatest need. And even as I say it, I kind of wonder how often we go, but that's Jesus. That's Jesus. He can take it. Thus diminishing his humanity and thus diminishing what he's done on our behalf. He was falsely accused. He was misrepresented and unjustly arrested. Being a victim of jealousy and insecurity. On the part of some leaders, they couldn't handle somebody else having a following. Like King Saul of old. Same kind of attitude. Something that we, we continue to see in our day. And then others, his movement likely would draw the wrath of Rome and everything had to be done to prevent any, anything that would, that would draw Rome's attention and would result in the losing of their place and position. The Jewish leaders, particularly those called the Sadducees, who were of the priestly class, their place and position was doomed. Their corruption had led to the downfall of the older system of the temple. But they were going to do everything in their power to keep their place and position no matter what, even if it would cost a man's life. And through it all, from his arrest all the way through to his death, he was mocked. Again, oh, that's Jesus. We've told this story so many times. Have you ever been mocked? Have you ever been made fun of? Do you remember how it feels? How many of us have been mocked? And if we're honest, it actually destroyed our lives. Because we were in the midst of something that we thought we should do and we were made fun of and we made a vow. I'm never going to do that again. But Jesus faced the mocking. He understood who he was and he held firm until the, until the end. He was tortured. I know some of us have suffered greatly in our bodies. I don't know if there's anyone here who's been tortured, may it never happen to you. I certainly would never choose it. But the flogging, the horrific Roman scourge ripping his flesh, he endured. And he endured it like any of us would. The difference being, there's always a sense that What did I do to deserve this? Maybe there's something. In his case, there was nothing. Eventually, he was executed by one of the worst forms of execution ever invented. Eventually culminating in his death. 
like we all need to face. Some will miss out on that if we're around when the Lord returns and will be changed in an instant. But the majority of us will face that dark place of death that he did as well. Now, why did he do all this? But not, I don't mean what's his motive. We, we talk about his motive all the time. He did it for us. He did it to rescue us. He did it for our salvation. He did it so that we could be forgiven. He did it so we could have eternal life. But why all the struggles? Why was it so hard? Why all the suffering? Why all the misunderstanding? Why all the mocking? Why, 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 why? Well, that's what it takes to defeat evil. Because of our parents' sin in the Garden of Eden, God's curse has come upon the creation. And the darkness of that has affected the creation ever since. And the only way that darkness is ever going to be overcome is by confronting it. I mentioned, I think it was last week, that Jesus, it, his, his suffering wasn't simply, oh, there's the Son of God, let's make his life miserable. There might be some truth in that, especially in the demonic forces who knew, who knew better than anybody who he was. But in terms of all the various things that happened to him, why was it happening? Well, it was happening because evil does not like good. Wickedness cannot tolerate righteousness. And so it must be mocked. It must be oppressed. It must be attacked. And the better you are, the more aggressive the pushback is going to be. Just the way it is. Jesus knew that. And he was willing to do it. To rescue us. So that we might join him. In the same mission. Unto the eventual and permanent overcoming of evil. We're going to look at this more on Sunday and see how his resurrection changes everything, enabling us to live the life of God powerfully in the midst of a dark world. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for this most extraordinary event. An, ev an event that changed everything. Thank you, Lord Jesus, for being willing to give up your divine prerogative and become just like us in every way. Experiencing all the effects of evil that we, that we face each and every day of our lives. Thank you, Father, that you didn't just stand afar off and watch us suffer, paying the price of our wrongs. 
But from the beginning, you invested and invested in, in the plan to rescue us. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you have come. And you did everything necessary that was needed to set us free. Open our ears and open our hearts to realize how much you've done on our behalf. Willing to suffer and bleed out that we might be forgiven and that we might reign with you forever. Father, I pray that for all of us, in whatever ways we're having difficulty connecting with with your power through your Son, would you find your way to those places in our lives that keep hidden away, compartments left untouched. As we contemplate the price paid for our forgiveness, help us to understand that the debt is paid and that we truly are forgiven. Father, I pray for those here online who may not yet know you. May these words no longer just be words, but may you come and pervade our lives and show us why you made us in the first place. Lord, so many of us today are in survival mode. We pray that you would bring us to victorious mode. You haven't called us simply to survive, but to thrive. You've appointed us to bear much fruit. Thank you for our great high priest who represents us and has now set us apart as a royal priesthood representing you on this, on this earth. May we be worthy of all that your son has done that we would walk as forgiven children of God, holy ones, channels of your blessing, channels of your healing, channels of salvation to all those around us. We thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For additional messages and more information, please visit us on the web at allsaintslutheran.ca.